Hello and welcome to Conversations for Good. I'm John Olajide. I'm the founder and CEO of Access, a Dallas-based company that's a leader in home healthcare technology. As a chair for the Dallas Regional Chamber in 2020, one of my priorities was to highlight how business can be a force for good. It's something that's always been incredibly important to me and something that I am deeply passionate about. So Conversations for Good brings together business leaders and community leaders and entrepreneurs who embody what it means to use business as a force for good. Today we, are, we have a very special guest and I am pleased to welcome Ann Chow of AT&T Business. She's a CEO of AT&T Business, a leading global telecommunications and technology solutions company. Um, and thank you so much for joining us today. And as someone that I have admired um, for many years, she's someone I have a lot of respect for, and it's always a pleasure to see her. And thank you for joining us today. Oh, John, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I'm also a mutual fan of yours. So it's uh, an honor to be here with you and your audience. Okay, and we're in for a road trip today. You've been covered a lot. A lot has been written about you. But you know, when I have leaders on calls like this, I like to have them start off by telling us about themselves, their life story, their life journey, and maybe we'll learn something they haven't shared publicly before. So just briefly, tell us tell us about Anne. Yeah, yeah. No, so my journey um, and my story, of course, starts with my parents, as so many of um, ours does. Um, I'm a second generation American. My parents immigrated to this country from their native country of Taiwan in the 60s. And so uh, they came to this country with very, very little, less than $500 US. They came here uh, very much to pursue the American dream. Uh, my brother and I, I have one brother, a younger brother, um, we were raised um, with, I would say, a very perhaps typical immigrant lifestyle. We lived life very simply, heavy focus on education, heavy focus on service, a heavy focus on not just being good, but doing good, right? So I love the name of your of your uh, <laughs> of your show here, uh, John. And so um, you know the the upbringing we had, the foundation we had, really um, advanced us, I would say, as as leaders into our adulthood um, around this idea of just constant contribution. Yeah, you know, there is also, by the way, this facet of immigrant paranoia. Uh, which plays well into leadership in the sense that you always have to have a plan A, plan B, and plan C, right? Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, in the context of my background, I never thought uh, that I would be a CEO, quite frankly, in my early days. Um, you know, I thought in the early days I was going to be a musician. And so I trained classically um, in the Juilliard School of Music pre-college uh, from when I was 10 through 17. Wow. Uh, realized that that was not a career path for me. So I just decided to go into electrical engineering instead. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, um, uh, my educational background is uh, electrical engineering as well as business. And I embarked on an amazing career journey over 31 years ago with AT&T coming out of business school um, and have had so many different types of wonderful, amazing experiences have spent the bulk of my career serving business clients all across the world. Um, and John, it has been an incredible ride. Um, you know, for, for your audience here, especially since we are you know, both based in Dallas, um, I'm a relatively new uh, Texan. Uh, we moved here about, uh, about six years ago. It was my career that, uh, that took me here to this great city. And it has been a wonderful surprise, I would tell you. The community has been so welcoming, um, and there are so many exciting things that are happening in Dallas that are happening in the world triggered by many, much of the leadership, both 
uh, you know, in the private sector and public sector that is hopping out of Dallas. So it's a little bit about me, John. What an introduction, and thank you for joining us. And welcome to Dallas. We are so blessed to have you. You've jumped both feet in and in making our community better. We're excited about that. And you know, I'm a first. I'm an immigrant. You know, to this country. I came here to go to college. So all the comments about immigrants, I understand that deeply and I'm glad we share that. And I'm an engineer too, you know, so uh, that's the background that I have. And I think that's where all the similarities stop because I think from a talent perspective, you're way more talented and you've done amazing things. But we'll, we'll unpack all of that today as we talk some and get into your into your story. So you you shared recently about relationships. You said it's your mission in life to seek and foster relationships. And what are you talking about when you say that? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things, you know, when you get to my uh, weathered and seasoned uh, point in my career, John, and, and you know, I, I probably have a couple of years on you, right? And so uh, don't at all downplay where you are. Can we, can we not talk whatever. about that, please? Let's not talk about the age thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah, age is a beautiful thing. It is part of who each of us are. It is. So um, what I mean by that is this, is, you know, I have, um, and this is maybe a function of, uh, this amazing career that I've had that, have, that has kept me in the global marketplace just as a matter of course. Look, every aspect of our lives, um, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, every aspect of society is about people, right? People are what make the world work or not work, right? And fundamentally underlying that, uh, when things work, what is at the basis of that work, uh, that progress? It's positive trust-based relationships, right? There is an old adage. Um, I remember my very first sales assignment many, many, many uh, years ago, uh, early in my career. And, you know, you, there used to be this adage, people buy from people. And it's that simple. I know you haven't been in sales, but people buy from people, right? And that always stuck with me because of the beauty of it, the simplicity of it. It's a little cliche, but it is absolutely true. So you can fall in love with a brand and a service uh, and a capability, a product or a technology. But fundamentally, if you don't have trust in that relationship, if you don't have a personal connection, right? Even in a professional context, right? If your professional identity does not believe that this relationship, this service, this partnership will help your business and you be successful, you won't go there, right? And so, so John, my passion um, is about relationships. I would say, you know, when people ask me, hey, what's your you know, what's one, like, what's your magic? What's your secret sauce? For me, it is absolutely inclusive of um, this idea and the practice around relationships that at the core of it, every one of us is human, uh, which means that we all have flaws, we all have strengths, but each one of us is uniquely, beautifully different. And that um, probably also explains another shared passion area I know that you and I have, which is a deep passion for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Well, and that's a, a great segue. Um, I, I love your comment. Let's take it further and, and talk about how you lead. You, you shared, and I've heard you say this, that you believe it's your purpose to, to discover, foster, I think those are your words, and enable greatness in people, teams, and organizations. Unpack that some more. You've talked about relationships. Now talk about leadership, teams. You're, talk about that some more. Sure, sure. So uh, you know, this this for me, I, I was not um, you know to perhaps give some, our less tenured uh, professionals who may be tuning in here some uh, some comfort, right? I was not always this clear 
about what my purpose was, right? I feel that each of our lives and in the context of our lives, our personal and professional journeys, which are intertwined, which shape our life, um, we are always where we're supposed to be at that moment in time, no matter how difficult and challenging and painful it may be, because it is, it is a moment, it is an experience that is teaching us something about ourselves, okay? Uh, that is helping us get clarity around our purpose and our impact. So I would tell you, John, I have always aspired to be a leader, right? Uh, it is something that my parents ingrained in me. Uh, part of the American experience as a child was getting hyper-involved, right? They wanted us to experience everything, right, that they did not have access to. Music, sports, um, you know, language, uh, leaderships, community service. And I knew that I wanted to be able to positively influence people and progress and become a leader, whatever that meant. Wow. So my leadership journey has really been about, you know, when people say, hey, what's your purpose? Well, yeah, you know, if you work for a company and an organization, you can say, well, my purpose is to, you know, enable my customers to be successful, to provide a higher level of customer service, to help them innovate. Yes, but what is your purpose, right? Um, and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, another kind of very cliche thing that uh, I'm, I'm sure you have heard uh, and, and um, others have heard, which is, wow, you know, um, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, lying on your deathbed, when you're in your last days, what will you be thinking about? Will you be thinking about your time in the office? Will you be thinking about your time in meetings? What will you be thinking about has been your legacy that you have left here, right? And as I matured through my career and my life, it, it dawned upon me that at least for me, um, Yes, part of my purpose is leadership, but for me, the part of my um, you know, leadership differentiation, if you will, my leadership platform, what are the unique things that I have brought to uh, my organizations, my teams, my partners, and my customers is this realization that I have um, you know, this balance of uh, you know, sort of IQ, EQ, which really hones on individuals and teams and organizations and cultures and companies, right? And that what I love to do is help others believe in themselves, see the potential. And I view it honestly as my obligation to help them realize their greatest potential, i.e. their greatness, right? I love it. And, and so, um, you know, I think about that in some context every day, right? When I'm working on a particular project, when I'm working with a client, right? Um, you know, when I'm working with a partner, um, and it's, uh, you know, it, it actually adds great clarity, quite frankly, on where and how I spend my time. So, so you know, um, and it sounds like you had clarity about leadership a lot sooner, because unlike you, I'm a more reluctant leader. You know, I think for me, the, the obvious was always there, but I just, I'd much rather, I want to like you, inspire people, support them, help them go do it and just get out of the way. And I guess that's leadership, but I didn't want to get out in front and, and move that along. But, you know, so I've learned and, you know, it's obvious that you have total clarity about your purpose, you know, and thanks for sharing that with us. And, and the reason I say that is in having that clarity, there's power in that clarity. So thanks for, for sharing that. So let's talk about your time at AT&T, okay? Sure. And um, you assumed your um, new role only a few months before the COVID pandemic changed everything. So how would you describe that first year for us? My goodness, you know, John, it's, uh, 
first of all, I'm incredibly still to this day, almost two years later, two calendar years. It's much longer than an actual practical years, right? With the with the last year and a half that we've been through, that we are still going through with this global pandemic. Um, you know, uh, I'm still humbled to this day to think that I have this responsibility, uh, both from a you know business perspective um, and you know impact, market impact perspective, and people standpoint as well. Mm. So, uh, what what was that like? Um, so, look, one of the things, John, that I have done over the last couple of years is I sort of threw away this idea of New Year's resolutions, right? Um, you know, besides the perpetual one that I have every year that I will confess <laughs> that I fail on, which is eat less and move more. Okay. Right. <laughs> right? So, so besides that one, um, rather than put a litany of resolutions together, I, I, at the end of every year, think about the year upcoming and I pick a word for myself that I hope will guide me. And the word that I chose for 2020, right, which was, uh, you know, then the full calendar year of my appointment into this role, the word I picked was purpose, long before we knew there was a global pandemic, right? And so when I think about that first year, it was filled with purpose. It was filled with purpose because I work for a company that sits at the heart of connection. Our job, right, is to deliver a meaningful connection, right? We are about connections. That is in every sense of the word, the physical sense in terms of the technology and the networks we provide, in terms of our customer relationships, yeah. in terms of the storytelling as part of our media business and engagement, right? Yeah. With our audience and our customers, right? We are all about connection. And never has there been a year than the one that we just finished um, I guess it, it's the middle of June, so I can't say just finished, but John, it's just an example of how the last year and a half feels like 20 of years. Course, uh -huh. of course. But, um, you know, there's never been a year where we have realized as a society and as individuals how important connection actually is, right? And of course, I'm speaking about the human connection, so. Okay, so I, I like the connection. Um, that's good, and it's clear, you know, you know what AT&T's purpose is and your purpose as well. But at a practical level, the, the pandemic turned our homes into offices and increased yeah. the demand for telecommunication services. And we're doing what we're doing now using more bandwidth. So how was AT&T able to, to meet that demand globally? And I'm sure this is more than you had ever seen. So even shared, give us some metrics maybe and tell us that story. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And so, you know, we, like many other organizations um, around the world, our first priority was ensuring and is ensuring that our employees are safe, right, uh, are safe and healthy. And so we triaged immediately our, around our employees, working to ensure that we had um, the tools and protocols um, activated to ensure that those that could go virtual went so immediately, those that needed to remain on the front line were enabled with all sorts of PPE and otherwise, right? Because we have had you know thousands of our employees stay on that front line as essential workers, right? As essential yes. service yes. since day one. Okay, from a client standpoint um, and from a network standpoint, it was um, I mean it was an incredible, right? I mean you think about those first ninety days in March, April, and May of last year. Um, it, it was a period of time that almost literally blurred together. If if I think about our network, right? Um, our, our network um, you know, demand increased. We saw traffic uh, increases well over 40, 50%. Um, you know, we saw texting rates uh, double at points in time throughout the period of, 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 uh, of the early pandemic. 
um, we saw utilization go up. And to your point about the remote work and just the nature of how the workspace changed, mm -hmm. just in those first 90 days from a business client standpoint, we had over 16,000 requests from our customers to pivot their work environment, right? Some from large global multinationals to the smallest of business in terms of the capabilities that they needed and the solutions that they needed, right? And so um, we, we were able to support our client set, I can say with incredible pride in the men, women, and people uh, with whom I, I, uh, I, I work with all around the globe, uh, partners included, that our ability to um, support our customers in their networking capabilities, in their connections, their actual physical net connections, was a big part of how um, we helped to enable this shift. You know, um, you know what, what, what I often talk about is this blending of what occurred with the physical world and the digital world, um, and this idea of digital, right? We all had to now fundamentally think about how we were working um, in a very virtual sense. And this notion of blending of both worlds together is now as, um, as we, right, as a, as a country emerge, I know men, there are many other uh, parts of the world that are still very much still in the, in, the, in the heavy struggle. There are regions of our country that are still um, you know, in, in the struggle of it. Um, but the trajectory, you know, hopefully is where we want it to be going. Um, what occurred last year is fundamentally changing the nature of work, right? Um, and so our network performed beautifully. Um, you know, I, I want, one thing that I would want to highlight, John, with you is, and your audience, um, is AT&T FirstNet. Because I think FirstNet for us is a perfect example of how we as a company are doing good, right? So FirstNet, for those of you who are unaware, um, is a, uh, you know, was created out of the 9-11 commission, right? And after those horrible, the tragic events of 9-11, it was very, very clear that public safety, that our first responders on the front line um, were faced with. And I'm sure every person, every adult here remembers where they were at that exact moment, right? And if you had friends, in Pennsylvania, in DC, or in New York, you were probably trying to call them or family, right? Yes. And you probably remember the congestion. You probably remember the frenzy, the frantic nature of the set of incidents. Um, and out of the 9-11 Commission, it was very, very clear that, um, that we needed to, as, as a country, move ourselves forward um, and you know, modernize public safety so that we could have interagency operability, right? Ac across our law enforcement, across fire, across emergency workers, across our military, right? Um, and that our first responders in a time of crisis needed and deserved priority and preemption because in times of crisis, it is life or death, right? We want our first responders to have the utmost accessibility to those services above all of the rest of us, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. um, because their mission is the most important mission and that is the mission of for human life, right? And so FirstNet um, is, a, uh, you know, is, a, is, a, is a partnership, it represents a partnership that we have with the federal government. I believe it's the largest public-private partnership of its kind. Uh, we partner with the, uh, we serve the FirstNet authority as we serve public safety um, organizations and agencies all around the, all, all around the country. We are up to over 2.2 million subscribers with over, I think we're over 16,000, 17,000 agencies. So agencies like FEMA, the Coast Guard, 
um, others, right, um, mm -hmm. are, are now our customers. And so, um, you know, when we, when we think about crises that occur, um, you know, having rock solid uh, public safety capabilities in every local community across every town, every city, every state in this great country um, is paramount, right, is, is paramount. And so, um, you know, FirstNet, our network, um, our product and portfolio suite is mission driven and it's purpose built. Um, and it is the ultimate doing for good and, and, and for what, it, what is right and for what is, uh, what is needed. And it is humbling every day to be part of, of that mission. I love it. You know, and I know at and is a force for good, and I was going to ask you about FirstNet, so I am glad we got to it, and you just really shared with our audience the important work that at and does in keeping all of us connected. So thanks for sharing that. You know, in your earlier comments, I picked up on a new word that I don't think I've heard before. Did you say digital? Digital. Digital. So I, I, it's a made-up word, so this is how I spell it, uh, P-H-Y-G-I-T-A-L, right? So the combination of physical and digital. Oh, so digital, yes. Digital, wow. Yes. Never yeah. heard that before. Yeah. You learn new words every day. I love it. So you heard you, it right here for the first time. Too, I love right? it. So. For, our, for our listeners, you, you learn new words. And if you're enjoying this conversation, please, please like and share this video and, and join us in this conversation on how business can be a force for good. So and let's, let's switch gears and talk about something different, very important. Let's talk about George Floyd. Mm -hmm. So we know last year the George Floyd killing but our nation's challenges with racism to the forefront. What do you think that we can do as leaders in our communities to make a difference and move things forward in this area? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. John, thank, thank you. Thank you for asking this question. And I am um, delighted that you did. Um, first of all, let, let me just say that I am, um, one of the questions that I get, right, about, um, about my career is, why did you stay at at and for so long, right? I just recently celebrated my 31-year service anniversary, okay? 31 years. Um, and why? Uh, why is that? It is because I work for a company who is wholeheartedly committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And in fact, one of our core values is to stand for equality, okay? And so I wanna give that backdrop uh, to my comments here because this is an area that I feel so passionate about. So um, what can we as leaders do? First of all, you know, the, the happenings of, of, um, of, of last year into this year, um, whether it's Black Lives Matter to uh, stop AAPI hate, right, um, to, much of the strife that we see now, right, you know, which is um, crimes or incidents around certain sectors, right, hate crimes, hate incidents, right, um, this is a problem, right, we, we, we have a problem, and when we talk about systemic racism or systemic injustice, it is, it is a tough topic, I think, for, yeah. for us to address, right, because it feels very uncomfortable, right, now, yeah. Um, John, I would venture to say I'm going to, uh, you know, um, hypothesize here. You and I have not talked about each of our own personal experience on this, but I'm going to hypothesize that you have encountered this throughout your life, of right? No since, since, of course, right, right. Yeah. Since you, you know, since you came to this country, right? Yeah. I would no tell doubt. you that it's something that I carry with me that I experience to this day, right? Same Even here. as a CEO, right? I mean, that's Same that's here. one of the most ironic things that I get is, wow, even as a CEO, you still experience racism and sexism. Uh, yeah. 
yeah. right? I mean, that doesn't, you know, your title has nothing to do with it, right? It's who you are and how people process you. Yeah. So as leaders, what is, our, what is our obligation? What is it that we must do to learn and move forward? Um, it is to listen and to learn, right? I believe, and I am not, um, I'm going to do a little, it may sound like a little uh, shameless, shameless self-promotion here, but I am passionate about the topic of unconscious bias because I do believe, this is purely Anne's point of view, that much of the root cause of the strife which exists and much of the root cause of why some of these systemic policies and practices are holding groups of individuals back inappropriately, right, um, is unconscious bias, is that bias which has grown up in our history, it has grown up in our systems, it has grown up differently in different geographies, it has grown up differently in certain industries, right? It has grown up differently in different communities, but it is there and it is a reality, okay? Um, and so what must we do about it? First of all, we have to learn, right? We have to learn about it. We have to learn about the history. We have to learn about how did it get to this point? We have to learn to open our eyes I would also say that what leaders must do as table stakes is to unpack and dissect their own origin story, right? We have to start trying to surface the biases within ourselves first to move forward. You know, I, I, uh, I recently had um, an opportunity to join a project um, and co-author a book called The Leader's Guide to Unconscious Bias. And um, by the way, I get no proceeds from the book. So this is not about royalties or anything like that. It's just a, a topic that I'm passionate about that I believe that every leader needs to embrace and understand in order to move forward, right? Um, because what I, you know, what, um, what I even learned um, you know, when, when George Floyd was, was murdered as I was being even more proactive because I wanted to understand what it meant and what it felt like. And of course I couldn't do that as a black person because I am not. Right. Um, you know, I, I learned from many of my colleagues that this happens all the time. Right. But what 2020 did was enable an awakening, a reckoning, if you will. Right. That gives us all an opportunity to now lead differently because we have been awakened to this. Right. Our eyes have been opened in a very different way. And it is each leader's obligation to start with themselves. So to listen, to learn, to put yourself in audiences and amongst people that are not like you, okay? Um, and to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You've got to ask the uncomfortable questions, right? Um, you've got to learn and grow your understanding because only with understanding comes deeper engagement, right? Only with understanding and engagement comes deeper trust and transparency, right? Only with that can actually come genuine and authentic actions for change, right? And each one of us as leaders, John, has an opportunity to decide what that means for us in the context of our personal aspects of our lives, as well as our professional aspects of our lives. And for many of us, right? Again, for me, I'm, I'm lucky to work for a company where my personal beliefs in this purpose align with my company's beliefs on, you know, on this and we're doing good, right? I, I mean, I view my role, right? Not just as a member of, of the community, but also as a leader as at and so. I love it. So, and I like that. I was going to talk about proximity. I'm glad you talked about that already, about putting ourselves in uncomfortable places and learning and asking all the right questions and 
doing our personal growth to learn our origin stories and all that. So as leaders, once we've done that, can you talk about the, 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 the greater responsibility we have to use our influence for good in that area? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Well, John, I think you're a role model example here, right? Is you've created this platform. You know, I've strived to do the same, right? Whether it's with the book that, uh, you know, that I co-authored, um, you know, whether it's with a, a, you know, a LinkedIn series that I have, right? Um, you know, that's called Champions for Change, right? And so I think as a leader, right, each one of us has this chance to use our voice and use our platform, no matter how small or big or narrow or broad, to just start the conversation, right? And um, believe me, right, every, you know, when you're a leader, and that is not a function of a title, okay, at all. Sure. Um, when you're a leader and you start evolving your actions, you evolve, you start changing your words, right? You start behaving differently, even leading more inclusively, right? People notice, right? People notice. And it is this, um, you know, uh, you know, it, it is this, you know, I just, I just recently um, finished uh, Matthew McConaughey's uh, Greenlights book, highly recommend to, to everyone. And I'm, I might paraphrase this wrong, but uh, he said something in there that really stuck in me, which is like, words, words motivate, actions activate, mm. right? And I have always felt that leaders must use both words and actions, right? How many times have we worked with people who, uh, in Texas, there's this saying that I learned, right? All hat, no cattle, right? They say mm. the words, but their actions don't match the words, right? Well, do you then trust them? Are they a leader who has integrity, right? Are they aligned in their purpose, right? And to me, it has always been a combination of both, right? Words and actions. And so words are not enough. They are a starting point. But you've got to translate that into doing something differently. I love right? it. I love so. it. I love it. Powerful words and actions. Words, words. Said, actions activate and words motivate. Words motivate and actions activate. You know, I knew on this in this conversation we'll we'll get one of your charisms. I know you got that from that book. I'm gonna go pick up the book and read, and I'm sure we'll get a lot more. So I, I love it. I'm enjoying this conversation all, totally. So I was talking to a friend um, recently, and he said hindsight is really 2020. I mean, you, we've talked about that some already, and we're all glad that 2020 is behind us substantively. There's still challenges that we're dealing with, of course. And in Texas in particular, you know, so as if the coronavirus challenge wasn't enough, we had a record-breaking winter storm too. So let's talk about how that impacted AT&T. That's another um, opportunity for AT&T to have led and tell us that story. Yeah, absolutely. And that was, uh, you know, I, th I think it's, what is it fondly known as Snowmageddon, right? Yep. So, right? Or something like that, right? The Texas yep. phrase. Okay, so um, first of all, to all of the audience who were affected by that, um, uh, by, by that storm, as well as, you know, the, the pandemic, you know, my, you know, our thoughts and our support go out to you, right? I mean, we have endured incredible, things together here, right, as a community. Um, but I believe we will come out stronger and we will come out better, okay? So how did AT&T react? Uh, John, I, 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 uh, I will say we were made for this, okay? When, when we 
you know, what is the nature of our business? It is networking, it is connectivity, it is broadband services and solutions, all right? We know how vital our services are. We have business continuity, disaster recovery, crisis management is in our DNA. You know, it is in our DNA in many ways. Uh, it is in our DNA with how many billions of dollars we invest in our network, right? And in, in case you're curious, it's over a hundred billion uh, from 2016 to 2020, right? So even just over a five-year period. Um, it is in our DNA in how we um, sustain our practices with our employees. We actually have a robust, uh, uh, we, we even call it, um, a, a business continuity disaster recovery. We have an acronym for it because we have an acronym for everything, right? Uh, we have a national disaster recovery program with which we drive investments into. And we have uh, you know, over 100,000 hours of our employees' time in field drills and practices. So we are prepared to ensure that our customers' services and their networks and their connectivity perform, right? Uh, because it can be life and death as we know, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So in the winter storm in, in Snowmageddon, um, our network actually performed um, beautifully. We, we performed over 99% of our performance measures. We were um, at the outset, right? Temporarily impacted by the power outages, right? That, uh, you know, that, that were all across those re the region. Um, we recovered. You know quite uh, you know quite effectively uh, from that, and um, what what we also did, and this is kind of where you also see the intersection of FirstNet into the core of our business, right? We have a set of what we call deployables. Think of them as mobile uh, mobile assets that can be deployed at any given time to ensure that if you are um, you know if you're terrestrial, if your fiber based connectivity is impacted you can harness the wireless infrastructure, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, we, we had deployables also, um, you know, out there as well. Um, and we have hundreds of deployables, by the way, at our ready that are just simply part of our network fabric and our practices. Um, and so, um, you know, and so from a services perspective, from an infrastructure perspective, uh, we forged ahead as we must do, as we compel to do, as is our obligation to do, with the utmost focus on um, serving our customers first and ensuring that our employees were safe and that they had what they needed um, for themselves and, and their families as well. Um, we also, uh, to the point of um, you know, uh, doing, you know, doing good, we also contributed uh, you know, uh, well over $100,000 into local community organizations Right, that were in need. Uh, you know, the, the food bank, um, as well. You know, our local our local food bank um, was in great need. Right, um, and so um, we also stayed very active in the community um, to contribute. Right, not only financially, but with our support, with our people and volunteerism, with you know, with with feet on the ground. Um, and so that is how we uh, triaged around the event, John. And I wish I could say that um, it was an anomaly, but you know, when I look at what happens across the country in any given year, whether it's, uh, you know, a human triggered crisis or triggered by mother nature, um, that is that is part of our business and it is part of who we are to be able to work through and lead through those those uh, those incidents. You know, and I'm curious about this and I'm sure our audience is as well. So you're saying these things happen, you know, you just never know. It's the 
um, global pandemic or snowmageddon or whatever it is i'm just curious how do you how do you run drills or tests for those things how because these are unprecedented things especially recently so i'm just at a high level explain to me in our audience how do you how do you have practice drills for things like this yeah yeah so we have small focus teams who kind of help facilitate this with us but let, let's say as an example we actually call them tabletop exercises right and so um, as an example, I'll use my, my organization, right? So, um, you know, a couple of times a year, we'll do a tabletop exercise where we'll say, okay, you know, everybody is, um, you know, uh, you know, dialed in um, and we, you know, we do it in a regular staff meeting and we run, we, we run the scenario. Okay. Um, we've just had, you know, there, there's just been a major uh, tsunami, make it up, right? It's been a major tsunami and it, it has, completely impacted this entire area of the coastline, right? We've got customers, we've got customers down, we've got, you know, people at risk. What do we do, right? We have, as you would expect from a company like AT&T, we have our, you know, we have established that's constantly refreshed, you know, our call list, our protocol list. Okay, now it's time to invoke, right? To invoke the plan, right? And so there are, um, you might imagine, well, as an engineer, you'll appreciate this, right? There are, you know, a, a myriad of flow charts and who calls whom and how do we, you know, we have a system in place for employees to report their okay. It's actually called yes, okay, right, right. And mm. so, you know, on this date, we need to make sure that everybody reports in into their yes, okay, either via text or voicemail or email or something, right. And so, um, we run these kinds of drills, right, with a degree of frequency, as I said before, that are that it's just in the practice of every organization at AT&T, right? And each time we run them, we don't know what the scenario is, right? And we will, as an executive team, as a leadership team, then say, okay, well, have we thought about this, right? You know, and through each exercise, we may learn a little bit more of, wow, you know, that part of the process could be tightened up. Or, you know what, have we thought about this? Well, you know, how, what about, um, um, what about people on vacation? How do you know if they're on vacation? They didn't report it, but they don't, you know, they don't report into the yes, okay, right? So, so um, how how is it that we learn from each of these incidents, right? Um, and uh, in simulation mode, so that when the real thing happens, we are more prepared than not than less prepared, right? And that also we have um, the degree of flexibility and connection to each other to adjust for that for which we did not foresee. Right, right. Okay, because as as we all experience with the pandemic, you know, no no one saw this to the degree of what was going to happen, right? And I think this is what has put all of us um, around the world, right? No one in the world not untouched by this in some way, directly or indirectly. That uh, that we must come together, right? We must come together. Um, to ensure that we learn from it and that we are better uh, from it. Um, and uh, John, it might not surprise you that my word for 2021 is better. Better. So 2020 was purpose. 2021 is better. Wow. Yep. Amazing. Okay. So, you know, as you've shared already, AT&T is always adapting to meet the current needs and um, working to be on the forefront of new technology. I know that you know that you share that with us. So, and what's next for AT&T as you look to meet the needs of business? 
Yeah, look, well, John, you know, as, as, I, as I said in the earlier part of our conversation, uh, you know, the, the importance of connectivity, the importance of connection, the, the importance of uh, communication really rose to the forefront. Um, so we, um, what's next for AT&T? We remain ever vigilant in our commitment to our customers to ensure that they, uh, they can be connected um, anywhere, anytime, in any place, whether it's in their home, whether it's for purposes of gaming and streaming, right? To working from home, to distance learning, to triaging around crisis, to transforming their business processes because certain industries have been, you know, changed forever. Uh, you know, healthcare, you know, before, uh, you know, before the pandemic, I would venture to say the vast minority of us were interested in telemedicine, you know, and telehealth visits, right? Now, many of us don't ever want to have to walk, you know, step foot, right, uh, into a doctor's office if we don't really have to, right? Um, and that's, you know, that's a little tiny aspect of change in healthcare. You know, we start moving into areas like remote patient monitoring. So when you look at innovations that are, you know, that are, that are here, that are, that are going to move us forward, it is really a series of technologies which will trigger this, inclusive of 5G, by the way, right? And where AT&T is committed to is to be providing these broadband services and solutions all around the country, enabling customers all around the world, um, you know, I speak from a business perspective um, as well, um, to move us forward, whether it's business forward, the economy forward, society forward, families forward, right? Um, and so um, it, is, it is a time where partnerships have become even more critical, right? And so we at at and do not believe that we're going to do this all by ourselves, right? Uh, of course, we absolutely believe in our world-class network that nobody does it better than us. We've got great partners um, all around, uh, you know, all around uh, the country, all around the world, all around the industry, right, with which we look to serve consumers and businesses and governments and nonprofits um, in, uh, in our mission to ensure that they, um, that they are connected to whatever and whomever um, they need to be, so. This is just incredible, you know, and I, I'm enjoying this conversation and, and I just want to share with the audience that if, if they're enjoying this conversation too, please share this opportunity with others. Share and like this video and join us in how um, in this conversation on our business can be a force for good. I'm sitting here with Ann Chow, um, CEO of AT&T Business. She's a personal force for good, no doubt, and as is AT&T as well. Okay, let's switch gears a little and let's talk about I don't know if you like to talk about this, but we we know you're a Juilliard trained pianist, and um, and so you'll talk about that, and you also understand the importance of discipline. So, what do you think um, that background has taught you about yourself um, and about leadership? And we want to know the last time you played. Oh my gosh! Okay, I'll answer that first. <laughs> the last time that I played was in high school. That might shock you. And the reason why I don't play anymore is I remember how good I was at one point and I just even wow. can't stand to uh, uh, listen to myself. Will I go back mm -hmm. to it? I will absolutely go back to it in retirement. Wow. Um, when my parents downsized their, uh, their home, I did, I did get the grand piano that I trained on. So it is in my house. Um, and uh, both of my daughters play the piano, which gives me great joy. And, uh, but I don't, play, I don't play anymore, but I will again someday. Okay. Mm. So if we're at a cocktail party, John, when we're physically together at some point, hopefully soon, 
don't ask me to play the piano because I will not. Okay, oh so, so, so I know, I know. So wow. what, did, uh, what did my musical background um, and my training teach me about leadership? Absolutely, you touched on it. You touched on the discipline, uh, you know, which has everything to do with practice and practice and practice. Um, it also taught me the importance of performance in the sense of understanding your audience and knowing your audience uh, as well, which is coming very handy uh, from a leadership standpoint. Um, but I think most importantly, John, when I, when I make the comparison, which is something that I'm asked to do once in a while, um, you know, I, I wanna piggyback on something that you said early on when you were talking about yourself, which is you, you never really aspired to be a leader in the sense because um, your perception was that like leadership was you had to be out in front, right? You'd rather be behind the scenes doing good, enabling good and supporting good, um, which by the way is leadership. Okay, um, and in the musical environment, here's, here's what I would tell you. So when we think about music, you have a musical score. That, mu that piece of music is clinically the same, right? So if you're looking at the piece of music, I'm looking at the piece of music, it's the same, okay? But what is different? What, what becomes different about it? It becomes different when somebody takes it and interprets it, right? Which is something they only them can uniquely do. And then if I think about the conductor of an orchestra, who is the leader, right? First of all, um, they are leading a team of individuals of different sections, your woodwind section, your brass section, your percussion section. In those sections are individuals. You have first chair, second chair, right? And the entire section. You as the conductor, your job is to bring out the best in the entirety of that orchestra against that very clinically, you know, piece of music, but to emote the best out of every individual in the context of the entire orchestra, right? And every time you play, they play, it's different, right? If one, you know, if your piccolo um, player makes a mistake, it kills the entire experience, right? It, it could kill the entire section, right? So, so you're only as good as your weakest link, right? But the importance of focusing on individual talents in the context of sections, groups, or teams, as well as the entire organization, i.e. the entire orchestra, uh, the entire company, right? Um, is I think a parallel and analogy that works for me every day. And I think about that every day when I think about leading. And I think importantly, John, you're the conductor, I'm the conductor. In a performance, where are we turned to? We're not turned to the audience, we're turned to our people. We are turned to our, we're, we're turned to the team. Right. And so I would say very much, John, your view of leadership is very much like that conductor as is mine. Right. We the, the, the performance is not about us. Our job is to bring out the best in the individual, in the section and the whole all at the same time. For the audience, our customers, our community, our society. And that is that is the most profound lesson for me that carries forward. Um, with me today as a former musician, uh, as a, a music aficionado, if you will, um, as well as a, um, you know, an engineer and a technology leader. And I can listen to you all day, all day. And I'm <laughs> sure our audience agrees. I, I've learned so much from this conversation. This is amazing, incredible. So what final thoughts do you have for those looking to be more connected and be a force for good? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, so here's what I would say. It is not enough in today's world 
for each of us just to focus on our own thing, right? It's not enough. I'm, I'm going to, um, I'm going to oversimplify this. Uh, you know, it, this this is a Chaoism, but I will say that this is a Chaoism that comes from my dad. Okay, mm. uh, and that is, um, in order to be good, you must do good for good. Mm. Okay, so how do you do that? I would say you you you've got to get involved. All right, mm. get involved in something greater than yourself. Yourself is defined as your immediate sphere, your group, your business, your team, your industry. How? Use your network. If your network just, just expands you into other things that are very much similar to what you do, you got to expand your network, all right? Start surrounding yourself with people who are not like you, right? Start trying some things, right? I, um, you know, I did not know what my path was. I would have told you uh, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, that I would have never envisioned a future in Texas involved in the community, um, you know, chairing the United Way Metro Dallas, uh, you know, campaign, you know, serving on uh, the advisory council for the Dallas Mavericks, for God's sake, right? So, you, you know, I would have never said, hey, these were areas of passion for me that aligned with my business purpose, but my personal purpose, and in a community that 10 years ago, I knew very little about, right? Um, but you just take one step at a time, one conversation at a time, one connection at a time, one person at a time, one relationship at a time, and just keep your mind and your heart open, okay? And make sure that you're sufficiently uncomfortable, though, okay? I think that's very key because one of the, um, one of the pitfalls I think that each of us can fall into is we're in our own echo chambers, and we surround ourselves with a lot of what is like us and therefore we don't grow and if we don't grow what are we doing we're stagnating right yeah. growth by definition is uncomfortable change by definition is uncomfortable so if you are not uncomfortable sufficiently uncomfortable then i would offer you're not growing enough um, and that you're not changing enough right and again it's not enough to be be good but the way to be good is to do good for good and incredible um, conversation. Thank you for your time and for all the work that you're doing to make the world more connected, a better place. And thank you for your authenticity. As I've said before, you are a force for good. And I am so grateful that our audience gets to hear from you directly. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Sean. And thank you for being a force for good as well. We're gl I'm glad we're in it together. Thank you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please like and share this video and join us in, in in this conversation on how business can be a force for good. Thank you to those that are tuning in. I look forward to many more conversations in the future.